Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast, powered by I Promise. Now, here's Danny Mac. Wednesday edition of Scoops with Danny Mac on 101 ESPN. Brian Walton will be my guest and a lot of baseball talk coming up. 65780. And you can chime in on the Air Comfort Service text line. And Scotty, you can always chime in. You mean it? Have I ever not meant it? You have not turned my mic off before. Alex was pleading for that yesterday, if you remember correctly. I, I don't have the controls, my man. But if you, you have the controls. Oh, that's right. So that's why it doesn't happen. Okay. I just yeah, to make you can sure. chime in anytime you want. You were giggling during the crossover. You guys were killing me talking about the uh, the weed. <laughs> of one Nate Newton. Yeah. <laughs> Not mine. Uh, right, right. I don't the, partake. The, the weed the weed Nate talk, Newton. I mean. The yeah. Nate, Nate Newton Let's and, clarify and this. Greg Robinson. Um, well, Randy was diving into the numbers. He has all of the different <laughs> words for weed, and they just crush me, man. He goes nuts on this I'm thing. I'm stuck in the corner laughing so hard, trying not to get you to hear me. Uh, are you into <laughs> the uh, NBA draft? I heard you're doing your sports updates on this thing. Yeah, I'm not into it this much this year. After you get out of the top mm, three to five picks, average watchers probably don't know anybody. Like in other drafts, at least in the second round, maybe you know guys that you know are your favorite. You watch March Madness and you know who the superstars are. I mean, Anthony Edwards, number two prospect, LaMelo Ball, number one, James Wiseman, number three. Does anybody know anybody else in the draft this year? I am fascinated with, I don't know why, LaMelo Ball. I love watching that guy. And it's, I don't care about his dad. I, I don't, he doesn't tickle my fancy, what I always like to say. But LaMelo does. That dude is sweet yeah. on the floor. And so is his brother. Not the one that went to UCLA. Not LiAngelo? No. What's the other one? Lonzo. Lonzo. Yeah, he's a good player. Very good player. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. Obviously, Obi Toppin is definitely my guy, though, in this draft. Went to Dayton. Got a lot of connections to Dayton. So outside of them, I don't really care. Yeah. I mean, that's the sad thing. Without seeing March Madness, all these players that are going to get picked tonight and all the top ones especially, you didn't get to see them have a shining moment. Yeah. And people forget about it. Uh, let's see. 314. Danny Mack, have you not listened to Craig Berube's speech? You're right. All right. His speech matters. You're right. The game changer. Game changer. 1980. Miracle on ice. That speech. Okay. All right. I'm wrong. Theo Epstein, he tra- uh, transformed the long-suffering Chicago Cubs, helped bring home a drought-busting championship in 2016, stepping down after nine seasons as the club's president of baseball operations. Now, we knew the time was short for Theo Epstein, but I'm not sure anybody anticipated that it would be happening now, but he says the time is now to walk away. If you look at... My track record in Boston and then here in, in the first six years or so, we, you know, we did some, some pretty epic things. And, and, um, and then the last, you know, the last couple of years weren't as impressive. And, and I think I'm great at and really enjoy building and, and uh, transformation and triumphing. Um, maybe I'm not as good and not as motivated by, by maintenance, so to speak. And when it, as soon as you get to the point where it can start to feel that way to you, then I think you owe it to yourself and 
as importantly, if not more importantly, to your employer to be to be open about that and seek to pursue change that's in the best interest of the organization and 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 the individual you know what it was interesting too scotty he was supposed to make i think it was about 10 million dollars so he walks away from that he said you know put that back into the club in terms of front office people or business of uh, operations people um save some jobs if that was going to be something that could help those folks out he said also my right hand man jed hoyer uh he's ready for this position which he is. He's been around forever. He's always, by the way, at Bush Stadium. I've talked to Jed, very nice guy, and those kind of guys are ready to take that jump if they're not already basically making some of those moves that Theo gets credit for because he's the boss, so to speak. So it makes some sense. I listen to a lot of MLB network radio. Steve Phillips, the former GM of the Mets, uh, hosts a show on, on MLB network radio. And I always find his perspective interesting because he's been in that seat and he was asked about what you do with some of the big names of the Cubs. Namely, Bryant, Baez, Schwarber, some of the big names, Contreras of the Chicago Cubs. And if I'm the Cubs, I may take 2021, trade Bryant, trade Baez, trade Schwarber. And I I personally would hold Contreras. I know how he'd fit for Tampa. I don't know that that deal necessarily fits for the Cubs. But what the Cubs do, they don't have much of a farm system. Take a year, trade these guys, and do the Araldus Chapman, Glaber Torres thing. Sign him back because Chris Bryant's not going to sign now. But when he's a free agent, yeah. there's nothing saying you can't get in on him. Uh, wow. And Baez too in the in the year where all those shortstops are out there. So the Cubs yeah. could could trade now, do a quick turnaround, get a bunch of prospects, restock their farm system, then go out and sign those guys as free agents next year, and put their team back together again, and be better suited moving forward with just taking one year with one step backwards. Yeah, that all sounds great in theory, but. The minute that you let those guys go and they get a taste of somewhere else and they say, well, maybe I don't want to go back to Chicago. Maybe I like this situation and I like my teammates. I like the city. I like not being in Chicago, maybe. I like the fact that it's a you know, lesser media market. I like the chance of what we're building here. I mean, all those things come to fruition and you take that chance. And by the way, if you want to re-sign all those guys, it's going to cost a bundle. A bundle. I mean, Bryant himself is going to cost a ton. If he if he goes out and has a great year, he's in a normal season. He's a $150 to $200 million player probably. Baez, if he is at his level where he should be, he was awful this year offensively. But if he's the kind of player that you anticipate, he's a top three, top four shortstop in the league in his prime. Um you can't have all those guys back. It's not going to happen. When I think about the Cubs fan base in this situation where they, I think, would be happy to trade Baez and Bryant right now if you tell them, hey, we're going to get top prospects. We have an opportunity to possibly re-sign them. Then you turn around, you look at the Cardinals who are looking to acquire guys like Brian Baez or Francisco Lindor in this situation. And you look at Cleveland, they say, wow, we would love to take all those prospects because we're not going to be able to keep Lindor. You have two different sides of the fences here, and the Cubs fans, I think that they would be okay with it. Eh. If if you tell them, hey, we have a eh. chance, free agency, I think it doesn't hurt as bad. So what do you, wait, hold on. You're, you're saying that you, if you tell the Cub fans that we're going to trade you, trade these guys, but right. we're going to get them back for sure. Not for sure, but there's an opportunity. I think fans like the fact where they say, hey, there's a chance we could get them back. There's a chance, not when you trade them and they sign the extension. And then it's like, okay, it's all like it's all over. 
I think that if there's an opportunity, fans have a little less anger. Fans want to win. Fans want to win. I, they, they've gotten a taste of winning, and this was supposed to be built for winning. This is supposed to be sustained winning that he was building up to. That this was, hey, we're going to have prospects in the pop uh, in the pipeline consistently. I don't know. I, we'll see how he wants to do it. I, I I think the marketplace for these guys though is limited because of the current COVID situation. Now. Uh, Buster Olney was asked, uh, what's next for Theo Epstein? Theo, I think after taking off 2021, will wind up uh, taking on another challenge. I've talked with friends of his. They think that he's more interested in a ground-up type situation. And i got to tell you, there are a lot of people around baseball who are looking at Nashville and saying, what? you know what, eventually there's going to be a team there uh, where you're going to be building something from the ground up. And maybe that's what Theo has in mind. He talked yesterday about being interested in possible ownership. Now, that's what caught my attention. And if you think about what he's saying there is expansion, which I I do think that's down the line. I think if you're looking at what uh, owners could do and what Major League Baseball could do to handle and to... Um, help themselves with the losses that they've dealt with this year and then have realignment, that's with expansion. So you're talking about Nashville, you're talking about Vegas, you're talking about Portland maybe, you're talking about Montreal. Uh, All those things are on the table, all of them. And Theo even, I think, has even mentioned that he would want to get into an ownership-type situation, which Buster just did right there. He's made a ton of money, ton of money with the Cubs, was making pretty good money with the Boston Red Sox, one of the highest-paid, if not the highest-paid, GM president of baseball operations. So that is something to think about. Um, For those of us that have been involved with the Missouri Valley Conference, and whether you're a fan or, for me, as a broadcaster for many years, got back involved with them last year, you had the... um, if you want to call it the pleasure or the Greg Marshall experience of watching him at Wichita State, then Wichita State left the Missouri Valley Conference, and you saw this guy act like a child on the sidelines. And Greg Marshall resigned yesterday, and here is Jay Billis of ESPN. I've known Greg Marshall for a long time. I certainly knew that he could fly off the handle at times. Some anger issues. I didn't know it rose to that level. And so I'm profoundly sad for the players and staff that affected with sort of the unreasonable and inappropriate actions. And then I also feel badly after you get past the victims of that abuse for Greg Marshall that he would would have made those mistakes. And I think it sends a message or should send a message to younger coaches that the way coaches may have acted in the past, in years past, maybe when I was a younger player, uh, you know, I'm 56 years old. What was acceptable when I was coming out of high school is not acceptable anymore. And the truth is it wasn't acceptable then. It was just accepted. It is clearly not acceptable now. If you're not paying attention to the way societal norms have changed, I don't care how much you win. Nobody deserves to be treated the way those players and staff were treated, if indeed those allegations are true, and I believe them to be true. Now, the amazing part is that Will Muschamp, let's just say, Scotty, Will Muschamp, um, this is, you wonder, you know, you wonder why college athletics is in this spot right now, getting hit with COVID-19. Everybody is, and financially, they're in these spots. Well, they're paying out Will Muschamp $13 million. They're going to pay Greg Marshall, who's abusing 
verbally abusing kids, and apparently there's maybe some physical abuse with this stuff, pushing kids, whatever the case may be. Um, $7 million to walk away. $7 million. I mean, this is why they're in the position that they're in. It's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. And, you know, these guys get these guaranteed contracts, and all of a sudden they're paying coaches millions of dollars to walk away. This is Dan Dockage, who is a former coach and now working at ESPN as well. Here's what I don't understand. I don't understand giving a guy seven and a half million. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand this. You know, ten years ago when I became the interim head coach in Indiana, Calvin Sampson had done all this all this stuff. Some reported, some wasn't. He walked away with seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I thought, man, you cheating pays, right? Or in, in this case, you know, doing whatever the hell he did, seven point seven or whatever it is million bucks paid over six or seven years. I mean, I just don't get how guys get paid. I don't. I'm sorry. I, I don't understand how people agree. Bingo. And they wonder why when they're in this financial situation that we all are in, everybody's taking a hit, but they're suffering at astronomical levels. That's part of it. So if you're in South Carolina and you're one of the coaches, let's say you're at a secondary sport, I call it a secondary sport, but let's say an Olympic sport, and all of a sudden your sport gets cut and you're watching Will Muschamp get cut or get his money and your sport gets cut and you're thinking, what the hell's going on here? You're giving him $13 million to walk away and my sport gets cut? Not right. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. It's a Wednesday, and as always, we visit with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Always great info from Brian on the Cardinals minor league system, the minor leagues in general, baseball in general. And as always, we say good morning to Brian on this Wednesday. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing great, Dan. Got a lot to talk about today. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So the Cardinals uh, did make a signing. It's not a trade for Nolan Arenado or... <laughs> it's not it's not Lindor. No, no, no Lindor. No Lindor moved to St. Louis yet. No, no. <laughs> no, nothing yet, but they did get uh a little a little uh, you know, I guess depth move at catching. So tell us about this catcher the Cardinals have signed. Yeah, Tyler Heineman, uh they signed to a minor league deal with an invitation to spring uh spring camp. He's a 29-year-old. He's a basically a triple-A depth kind of catcher. He's a switch hitter. Uh you know, hits well at least in the minor leagues has had a couple brief stints in the major leagues with Miami in uh, 2019 and the Giants this last year. But <clears throat> the Giants have uh, not only Buster Posey, but also uh, a top prospect in Joey Bart. So they took Heineman off their 40-man roster, and the Cardinals picked him up as a minor league signing. He's not going to affect the Molina situation one way or another. The Cardinals had a, a, a minor league veteran catcher, Jose Godoy, who was, kinda, who was on the taxi squad when – um, Andrew Kisner was with St. Louis, but he left as a free agent. So they need a veteran guy at AAA, and that's probably the role that Tyler Heineman is going to play in, in 2021. Yeah, I'm so excited about the young man Herrera that uh, I, I got a chance to see him in spring training, and I believe he's probably, and I don't know if you're in this same camp, but maybe two years away. Uh, he kind of looked like a young Yachty, the way he was receiving some of the things that he did. Just give our, our fans and our listeners an idea just how good this young prospect is. 
Well, we haven't rolled out our, our full top 50 yet, but you're going to see Yvonne Herrera in the top five in the Cardinals system. That's not a big spoiler. I mean, this, this young man has uh, progressed very quickly. He actually played uh, in the Arizona Fall League uh, a year ago now and performed very well down there, not only with the bat, but also in his game-calling skills. Um, is very, very dedicated to his work and is a just a good all-around player. And so, yeah, now the, the challenge on um, Yvonne Herrera, he's very much like – Nolan Gorman in terms of his development. And what I mean is that he's played at high A, but he hasn't yet played at double A. And so, you know, any thoughts that Herrera could jump all the way from, from Palm beach and where he played like 18 games in 2019, all the way to St. Louis is unreasonable. And the Cardinals have another catcher, Julio Rodriguez, who you know doesn't have the same kind of profile, but could maybe be a backup guy. And he's probably going to be maybe the guy at Memphis and Herrera, you know, would get his experience at Springfield uh, this coming year. But I agree with you. We're a couple of years away, maybe late 2022. We could see Herrera, you know, if there's an injury situation or, or whatever. But uh, the important thing is that Herrera, because of his experience, he signed back in 2016. He was a July 2nd signing then. What that means is he would become Rule 5 eligible this year, this December. And certainly the Cardinals don't want to lose him. If he were made available in the draft, he'd get snapped up right away. So Herrera is one of the guys that the Cardinals will add to the 40-man here. And that deadline is this Friday, so there's just a couple more days. Uh, along with Herrera, another guy that could will probably go on the 40-man roster. Again, another guy on the, the fringes of the top 10 is right-handed starting pitcher uh, Angel Rondon who was at Springfield in 2019 and is a guy that I think they, they're looking at. You know, he didn't progress quite as fast as an Oviedo, say, but uh, it still looks like a very good prospect. So we've got Rule 5 protection across the board coming up uh, this week with Major League Baseball. That's right. Uh, all the organizations are required to basically set their rosters. The Cardinals have opened up three 40-man roster spots currently, so they could protect three players. And uh, as I said, Rondon and... Uh, Herrera, I think, are pretty much locks. And then the other question is, uh, is Herrera, the other, the, or excuse me, Julio Rodriguez, the other catcher I mentioned, he's also Rule 5 eligible. And I think he's a guy they may want to keep. But, you know, if the Cardinals use all three of those spots, what that means is they could not take another player in Rule 5 themselves because you have to have an open spot when you go into that. Uh, that Rule 5 draft, which is on, uh, which will be on December 8th. You have to have a spot if you want to pick up another player. So the Cardinals could do some more juggling around with a 40-man this week. And then, of course, you extend beyond that and you say, well, what happens for, for uh, Yachty and, and Wainwright if they get signed? And that means the Cardinals have to free up a couple more spots, either via trade or releases or just you know moving guys off the 40-man and, and exposing them to waivers. So there's going to be some more housekeeping that's going to uh, occur over the upcoming weeks. Uh, and then the other the other big deadline is coming up, and we'll talk more about this next week probably, is December 2nd is the non-tender deadline for arbitration-eligible players. And there will be a glut of players that will be cut loose and made available as free agents, and that will, uh, I think, try to you know help kickstart the, the signing season this winter that so far has gone pretty slow because – uh, teams don't know yet, you know, who's out there, who's available, let alone whether there's going to be a designated hitter, what size the rosters are going to be, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, that's going to be the big day this offseason in baseball. Although there was uh, a little movement with the Atlanta Braves. What did, what did you think about what they did and how that maybe dovetails into Wainwright adding depth with their pitching, that kind of thing? Yeah, the Atlanta Braves are one of the few teams that have, they in Toronto have been fairly active here early in the free agent uh, scene. Uh, season. They signed Josh Tomlin, a reliever, to a $1 million deal. You know, not a huge thing. But then they signed Drew Smiley, who is a pitcher that's been around a long time, had a lot of injuries, but just 
something happened to Drew Smiley in 2020. He found like three, two or three more uh, miles per hour of velocity on his pitches, uh, was striking out guys at an incredible rate, you know, just had an exceptional year. And the Braves have this history of giving one-year deals to guys. Uh, they did it last year um, with, uh, with um, Marcelo Zuna, and we saw him do it the year before with the third baseman Donaldson. Uh, but then they also did it with Cole Hamels last year on the pitching side, and that didn't work out. But they paid Drew Smiley $11 million to join their rotation. And the Braves are talking about a, a system where their starters go the first two times through the order. Then they have these bridge pitchers or mid-tier pitchers. And they're guys that are, for them, guys like Tomlin and Sean Newcomb, who aren't quite good enough to be starters, but then that bridges them to their to the back of their uh, their rotation, their back of their staff, their bullpen. And, you know, you look at Drew Smiley gets $11 million from the Braves, you have to wonder whether they're going to be also interested in signing Adam Wainwright after spending that kind of money on a starter because, they you know, they do have a number of arms as well. So it's kind of interesting to see not only what the Braves are doing but what that might do to Adam Wainwright's, uh, you know, the, the presumed top designation after St. Louis. You know, watching Tampa Bay kind of do that same type of system, the Atlanta Braves, same type of system, um, and a little bit out of necessity, especially after Soroka was injured and they were limited with their pitching. Guys were hurt. They were calling up these young kids that probably they didn't expect to call up this year, but then performed well. You got to wonder if that's the trend in going with baseball and you just load up with these mid-tier guys to kind of bridge the gap to get you to the back end of your bullpen. You know, it's not only on the pitching side, Dan. Uh, the athletic, you know, Saris uh, and Andrew Baggerly just put up an article yesterday about how the Giants – who have a roster that's sort of like the Cardinals in a way on the offensive side, not a lot of stars, some guys who can play, you know, Brandon Belden, and Yastrzemski and all who can play, but there's no, you know, there's no all-stars, no strong superstars on their team. And through uh, their use of analytics and pitching and, you know, they have three hitting and they have three different hitting coaches and individualized approach for each hitter. The Giants offense turned into a pretty good unit in a very good unit in 2020. And so, you know, there's things to be learned as, organizations evolve over time. And uh, one of the coaches on the Giants who who is involved in that process, a guy named Donnie Ecker, who spent uh, three years in the Cardinals system. So there's definitely some innovative things going on in baseball. And I think the Cardinals have to figure out a way to get better use of their, you know, their complete roster and certainly platooning and, you know, using bridge pitchers and, you know, being a little more creative could be a, a way to do that. Hey, Brian, if you could stay with us uh, through the break, some more baseball talk on 101 ESPN. I want to get into with you. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. This is 101 ESPN on a Wednesday, as we always do. We talk baseball with Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. Big news yesterday out of the windy city of Chicago as Theo Epstein steps down as the president of baseball operations. I think uh, many of you are aware that uh, I'd always planned to be with the Cubs uh, for for about 10 years. Because of that, uh, Tom and I had been in communication for the last several years about uh, a possible transition and uh, trying to figure out a way to execute a transition that would be best for the Cubs, um, put, put the organization in the best possible position, uh, and also be good for me. And uh, the, the communication was something I really appreciate. It was so well done. Um, Tom, you know, looking out for me and my interests, and, and I was trying always to focus on, on the best interests of the Cubs, and it, was, it couldn't have been more amicable 
and uh, I really appreciate the way that was handled. Tom Ricketts, the owner of the Cubs, turns it over to Jed Hoyer. It's a bittersweet day. Uh, I just know that um, this is the right thing for the organization. Uh, I appreciate the honesty and uh, the uh, direct way that Theo has uh, worked with me on this and we've worked together on this. Um, I have no doubt that uh, the organization is in the best place it could be and positioned for uh, future ongoing sustained success. Let's welcome back into the conversation Brian Walton of thecardinalnation.com. And Brian, thanks for holding on uh, through the break. What was your uh, take on what you heard yesterday? Were you surprised? Whatever the case may be that Theo Epstein now is done in Chicago. Well, I was surprised he left with a year left on his deal, but if you look at his history, maybe it's not that surprising. The first thing I thought of was, wow, it doesn't send a very positive signal about, you know, what the 2021 Cubs look like. And, you know, that's not a newsflash, but, you know, you'd have to think if Theo thought that the Cubs were going to win him another ring and win everybody another ring, that he would have stayed around to see it. Um, You know, he's going to take some time off, apparently. I'm sure he's going to look for another situation like he's been in the past where, uh, there's an owner with a lot of money that's willing to spend and maybe the organization hasn't won in a while. I think on one hand, there's, you know, you can't argue Theo Epstein is a hall of famer already three titles, three world series titles in two cities that hadn't won in a long, long time. But if you look at the Cubs situation right now, it's not a good situation. I mean, we know they've got the big contracts and they don't know what to do with them. Um, they, they've, you know, they've got trouble with pitching. They haven't developed pitching in a long time. Their farm system is among the worst in the majors because he traded away all their guys. So, you know, the Cubs, Jed Hoyer, who's the, you know, the, um, the GM who's going to stay around and, and manage, you know, is going to, going to inherit a tough situation there, but obviously it's a positive for the Cardinals. Anytime the Cubs uh, struggle a little bit or, or have a little bit of a disruption, it's, it's, it's positive for the rest of the division. I got to wonder if you wanted to make a, a quick fix or try to unload deals like Bryant, Baez, Schwarber in a normal year, you probably could. But I, I got to wonder about the marketplace and the appetite for teams to take on those types of deals. There might be only just a you know handful of teams that want those type of contracts. So it may be very, very tough for the Cubs to try to unload those kind of deals to have payroll e- relief. I really think it's going to be well, tough. And, and yeah, and, and not only that, Dan, I mean, Bryant's got one year left. So not only are you going to you know risk a lot for a guy with a huge contract who hasn't performed up to expectations in, in a few years, but you're also going to get a guy who might just be a rental. So, you know, you're not going to want to give up three or four top prospects for a guy who could walk after whatever the 2021 season is going to be, whether it's 100 games or 162 games or whatever, you know. So there's a lot of question marks, you're right, that make the trade market for these big-end contracts a, 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 a tough situation. And that applies to, to you know, the name-brand guys like Arenado and Lindor, but also to the guys that Cardinals have, like Carlos Martinez and Carpenter and Fowler. I mean, they're just not really tradable unless teams are willing to eat a, a segment of their salary. I... I... I think it's going to be very tough for them to do that. And, and you know, Steve Phillips uh, was on MLB Radio Network, and he's saying, well, you can just take these guys, trade them for one year, and then kind of reevaluate and bring them back and make another run and replenish the farm system. I, I just don't think it's that easy to do. Would you agree? But, I mean, there's only a handful of teams. I think Artie Moreno and in the, for the Angels came out the other day and, and you know, said, hey, we're not going to cut our payroll. But most of the most of the teams are saying what, the, what Mo and the Cardinals are saying, and that is, Hey, you know, we took a bath last year. You know, we've got to trim our payroll. And so teams trimming their payrolls aren't going to want to take on a, 
a twenty million dollar Francisco Lindor. They can't. That's that's the th- that's the key. I think that's going to be the the really tough part about this. Um, what normally we're talking about the Arizona Fall League at this time. Winter leagues are kicking up. Um, as, as far as Winter League Baseball, I am seeing some highlights. I didn't see any crowd, but I am seeing Winter League ball being played. Uh, what's going on with Winter League Baseball right now? Uh, Mexico started last month, actually, and uh, the Cardinals have a couple prospects down there. The most notable name is uh, shortstop Mateo Hill. Uh, it's G-I-L. His dad was a, a former uh, Major League shortstop as well. He's only played in short season ball, but he's an interesting prospect in the Cardinal system. And in our rankings, he's a you know mid-tier guy in the, in the 20s. Uh, then there's a couple of others down in Mexico. And then the Dominican Republic, which is typically the highest profile league, they just started up uh, this past uh, weekend. And so uh, the Cardinals have half a dozen players there, major league guys. I'm talking about Julio, uh, excuse me, uh, Junior Fernandez and Nagowski, Ravello, Sosa, um, and then Julio Rodriguez, the young catcher I mentioned, are all playing in uh, the Dominican. We haven't yet, it, the whether Puerto Rico gets going or when, it's a little bit uh, open to question right now, but they, I guess, are supposed to start the first week in December. And the, all these leagues will play. And then the, the Caribbean series is is scheduled as it usually is at the end of, of uh, January, beginning of February, where the, the champions of these uh, winter leagues all play in one big tournament, and that'll uh, be in Mexico this year. What are you hearing about testing, Brian? Can they, are they doing any testing, or, or is there anything that they can do to try to mitigate the virus? You know, it's interesting. You know, it, it's sort of a, an issue for our entire society right now as we're watching, you know, the, the, the potential of, of, a, of a vaccine that could help our all of our population and the latest word is you know that maybe even as soon as december next month some of the critical health workers and some of the elderly might be able to get access to some of these but for the general population you know we're talking they're saying maybe april or even later so you know it's really interesting because if you look at the schedule the baseball schedule uh, cardinals opening day is april 1st in cincinnati and the home openers a week later so you know there's going to be this race to i think to you know get the vaccine out and get the population uh you know protected and you know, that's going to affect potentially uh, how and, and in what manner Major League Baseball is going to be able to open in 2021. So in winter ball, though, they're they're not testing. They're just they're. Oh, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't know the details of to tell you the truth, what they're what they're doing in winter ball. But they they're they're playing definitely. And, uh, you know, the, in the clips I've seen, I haven't seen a lot of mask wearing or anything like that. But yeah. as you mentioned, as you mentioned, there's also not, you know, not the folks in the stands. So, uh, you know, I think they're being cautious, but. You know, but I don't really know any more than that. Let me just sure, leave it at that. Sure, sure. Uh, let's wrap it up with this. What do you have coming up uh, daily on thecardinalnation.com? I've been enjoying the uh, the top fifty prospect list. Yeah, we've uh, and I, what I try to do is make one out of every five available free, so folks can see uh, the quality of work that we're doing. Matt Thompson from Prospects Live is is providing tools based analysis of all the prospects that we rank all fifty, and then I write about the environment that the player's in in the past years and this year and their their ultimate future. And so Pedro Pajes, a, a catcher that the Cardinals drafted in the sixth round in 2019, is up today, is a, is a good young player to, to keep an eye on. As I mentioned, we're going to be having we, um, reports on the Cardinals' progress in winter leagues every week, uh, one report on pitchers and one report on hitters. Um, and we'll continue to report on what's happening with the roster changes in Rule 5. I'm also working on a, a story about the history of Rule 5 because – a lot of folks say, hey, you know, it's not that big a deal. But even in the minor league phase of the Rule 5, the Cardinals got a, a valuable pitcher a few years ago, John Burbia. So, you know, it's a way for teams that are, you know, looking on, on the cheap to 
augment their rosters to do so. And so this year, Rule 5 could be, uh, you know, even more uh, busy than it's been in the past. There's no doubt. And then December 2nd, so it's going to get really interesting very quickly here in Major League Baseball. Hey, Brian, great stuff. TheCardinalNation.com, and we'll catch up again next Wednesday. Thanks for your time. Take care, Dan. Again, our thanks to Brian Walton. We do this every Wednesday on Scoops with Danny Mac. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs, BK, Alex are coming up on the crossover. And our thanks to Brian Walton. If you missed anything on today's show, check out the podcast. And it's brought to you by I Promise. Good folks at I Promise. See more at IPromise.com. All right, my man, what do you got coming up on the show? Excited for the show today, Dan. David Kaplan of ESPN 1000 is going to join us coming up at 1130 to talk about the Theo news. He told us a few weeks ago on the show, kind of anticipated that this was coming. It was a question of when, not if. He believes in that 10-year lifespan of being with one organization, so not a huge surprise to him. I want to ask him about what the Cubs do now, though. Because Hands every, are tied, huh? everybody's saying, okay, soft rebuild, and I get that. That's what they should do. Who's taking these contracts, though? Right. You've got $20 million tied up into a bunch of different players right now who are going into the last year of their deals. It's great to say, in theory, you want to trade them to be able to get the prospects in return. And in a normal year, you could. There'd be a ton of teams that are interested in Javi Baez or... Um, Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, everybody would want those guys. Contreras, you Darvish maybe. In this year, no. I don't know that you're going to have many suitors. So we're going to talk about that here in just a little bit. And you got Chris Kerber. I'll be coming up with you guys at 12.15. So uh, lots coming up. Uh, you do a hell of a job, by the way, booking all these guests in a pandemic world. I got to tell you. Thanks, good, man. Good uh, work. I got to give a bunch of credit as well to Jamie Rivers. He's been absolutely destroying it with some of his hockey guest yeah. booking. I mean, we've... We've been able to have Blues players, coaches, alumni. It's great. Everybody that you could possibly want from the Blues. He's been amazing to be able to help out with that stuff. All right, Ribs, BK, Alex, all coming up next. Scotty, great job. Uh, I want to tell everybody, have you listened, by the way, to the podcast, The Edge? I have. It's really good. I've got Ben Ryder on the hour tomorrow. Awesome. So Ben uh, hosted and and put together the podcast and wrote the book. um, Astro Ball. Astro Ball. And uh, he was the the guy that in 2013 wrote or put the Astros. It's it's fascinating, but he wrote that book. But in 2013, he put he's the guy that put the Astros on the cover of Sports Illustrated and said, "Here are your 2017 World Series champion Houston Astros." And everybody mocked him for it. And of course, they won in 2017. He was kind of embedded in their front office with Jeff Luno and. Sure enough, he wrote that book and then has now written the the uh, the book and then put together the podcast. And so if you haven't listened to the podcast and you want to hear what it's all about and go behind the scenes, he's going to be with me for the entire hour tomorrow. So it's, that's awesome. Man. Yeah, he he basically explores for anybody that hasn't listened to the podcast yet. He's wondering himself, like, I wrote a book about this team. How did I How miss did it? I not see this? Yeah. So it, it's really good stuff. It's really interesting. They kind of expand. Uh, they, they go micro and macro yes. of what this all meant and what it means moving forward for baseball. So it, I'm very much looking forward to that. Can't wait. Yep. Looking forward to that. That'll be at uh, 10 tomorrow on 101 ESPN. You've been listening to Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast powered by I Promise.